The first reading this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles. The crowds in Jerusalem are ecstatic when they hear Peter's preaching. They respond to his call for repentance by being baptized in Jesus' name. Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and the Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when you heard when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. A reading from the first letter of Peter. If you invoke as Father, the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, Love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now on that same day, two of the disciples were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other as you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us 
that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been known to them, made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Be seated, please. Luke is a great storyteller. You can almost picture the scene, um, the two disciples walking along, um, deep in discussion. The Greek tells us that they were um, having a philosophical discussion. They were trying to figure things out. It wasn't just um, a casual conversation. Um, a third person comes to join them, and they walk on. You can just almost picture it. And Luke is such a good storyteller that none of these details goes unintended. We're told the name of one of the disciples, Cleopas. Um, we've never met Cleopas before in the gospel, just the name. Um, you can't find Emmaus on the map. No one knows for sure where it is. These things he adds to make the story seem real. But he leaves one of the disciples unnamed. He wants us to have a place to put ourselves into the story. We are the unnamed disciple. But there's this wonderful irony in that. We, the reader of the story, know who this third person is, while the actors in the story don't know who this third person is. And if we're supposed to insert ourselves into the story, then at one time we're both supposed to know, as a reader, who this third person is, and as an actor, not know who this third person is. So it raises the question, where in our lives do we encounter the risen Christ? If this is supposed to be our story and we're in it, then we both know and don't know who the risen Christ is as he joins us along the way. Notice what happens at the end of the story. They get to where they're going. They prevail upon him to come in with them because the day is almost over. And he reclines at table, takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them. And then their eyes are opened. These would have been familiar actions to them. Remember the story of the feeding in the wilderness. He takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it, gives it to them. Um, It's what we do in Eucharist. Take the bread, bless it, break it, and distribute it. They would have recognized him in the Eucharist. And then, in case we missed the point... Luke wants us to understand that this really is a Eucharist. Back up a step. What does the risen Lord talk to them about on the way? 
the Scripture. He opens their eyes to the Scriptures. Now, I'm sitting down at supper, and someone breaks the bread, and I recognize him, and then poof, he vanishes. I'm not going to turn to my partner and say, wow, didn't he explain Scripture well? I'm going to say, what was going on here? But they turn to each other and say, were not our hearts burning within us as he opened the Scripture to us on the road? But back up one step further. It's not just Scripture and then breaking bread like our Eucharist. The two of them are walking along, telling each other what has happened, telling each other their stories. And this third person, whom we both recognize and don't recognize, shows up and says, what are you talking about? And they say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? What has happened? And they tell him their story. So we come into church, and we sort of see church beginning at that door. We read scripture, and then have Eucharist, and then church is over. And it ends at that door. That's not the way Luke wants us to think of the Eucharist. It begins in our story. We tell our story to each other. What happened to us this week? What was going on? Then we get here. Then and only then do we approach the scriptures. When we know our story, we come to the scripture and say, what might that tell us about our story? Then we break bread and recognize the risen Jesus. And then we get up and at a late hour run back to Jerusalem and say, look at what has happened. In 1979, the Episcopal Church got a new prayer book. Um, I came into the Episcopal Church in 1980 to a congregation that had accepted the new prayer book, gone through the Zebra book and the Green book and all of the other books, and was very much committed to this new book. And so I thought every Episcopalian liked the new book. When I got to my first parish as a curate, I quickly discovered, no, that was not so. Um, The parish where I was a curate, the book had just showed up one Sunday morning, and they started using it, and they didn't like it. Um, the old book allowed us to come in pretty much with blinders on, sit in our place, say our prayers, come to communion, get our little bit of grace, and go back out the building as if nothing changed. We were maybe made right with God, but beyond that, nothing much had changed. The new book completely undoes that. If the Reformation was a turn towards individualism in religion. We don't need the church between us and God. Then the 1979 prayer book was a turn away from individualism, back into an understanding of community. The thing that bothered people most about the new prayer book was the exchange of peace. I got to this parish, I well remember my first Sunday here, November of 1992. I had promised the search committee upon my mother's grave that I would not change anything in the liturgy without talking it over with them first. We'll talk about what changes there are. Came to my first Sunday, we got through the confession, the prayers of the people in the confession. I stood up, came to the front step, invited them to stand up and exchange the peace, and was met with silence. This congregation had never exchanged the peace, and we were now, what, 15 years into the new prayer book. Got a call the next day. I thought you told us you weren't going to change the liturgy without explaining it. What did I do? You had us exchange the peace. Oh, we're going to do a little talking about that. It's not optional, first of all. It's there in the prayer book. You have to do it. 
the confession, when we confess the, in the new prayer book, we confess our sins against God and our neighbor. And then the priest stands up and says the absolution. That takes care of the God direction. And then you turn to each other and exchange the peace um, as a way of that person standing in for the neighbor that you've got something against. Things have changed in 19 years. I now have a hard time getting you all to sit down after the peace. And this is the way it should be. So we come to church not as usual. And, and I have us stand around the, the outside wall while we um, uh, do communion and then pass the bread um, to each other. Um, people are uncomfortable with that. Some people are. I've heard people say it takes too long. I've timed it. It takes no longer than receiving communion the usual way. Um, the reason we think it takes longer is because you don't get to come to the altar rail, get your piece of bread, and then go back and sit in your, in your chair. You have to stand there while everyone else takes communion and watch. You have to be aware of what's going on. Um, You can't just sit in your chair and think about, oh, what am I going to do when service is over? I can come to coffee hour for a few minutes, but then I've got errands to run. You have to stand there and pay attention to everyone else receiving communion. That's what this new prayer book, that was what was so uncomfortable. That's the direction we're going. It's about finding Christ in one another. It's not about finding Christ in the priest. I don't stand and, and, and say the blessing in Christ's place. It's about finding Christ in this community. And notice how Luke has that happen. The two start by telling their story to each other. That's the piece that we're most uncomfortable with. I talked a while back about having us do hands-on face-to-face ministry and then reflecting on it and said, you know, maybe we ought to have testimony. People could come back to church and say, this is what I did this last week and this is how it changed me. Oh, no way. (laughs) We're not doing that. It's in our stories. It's in our talking to each other and not necessarily just the happy stories. These two are talking about something disastrous that has happened. We thought he was going to be the one. What went on? And then this third person shows up with a different perspective and says, let's look at Scripture. And now that we've looked at Scripture, let's break bread. And so Christ is known to us in community, not out the east window. Of course, in this church, that's east, but that's liturgical east. Not out the east window. I don't stand with my back to you. That's not where God is. God is in here. It's uncomfortable because we have to face each other. We have to hear each other's story. We have to know what's going on in each other's lives. We have to get in each other's business. But that's where Christ is known. We come with our stories. We approach the scriptures. And then we come to the table to break bread. And Christ was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. All of that together. And then they got excited. They didn't stand up like I Like if I'd have been there, I'd have said, did he just disappear? That's not what they said. They said, look at what happened to us. We've got to tell other folks. And they couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem and ran. So we come with our story. We think it through. We tell each other. We come to the scriptures. And then we come to the table. And that's where we encounter the risen Christ. Amen.